Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. And uh, Jonas Crossland, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, John. Wonderful. Right. It's been uh, an extremely busy week, particularly on the retail front, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And also, we've had some updates from the property industry, particularly those exposed to London, but also some house builders have been uh, reporting. And those are two sectors which, it's fair to say, have uh, not been top of investors' lists over the last six months, certainly since the uh, referendum. Both were hit extremely hard. And I think both of you have had to be very brave over the last six months to kind of stay calm in the face of all the negative sentiment towards those sectors. But the news we've had is generally pretty good. Should we start with retail, Harriet? Yeah, let's. It's what they call sort of the peak time for retail correspondence because, I mean, today alone, and sadly none of this is in this week's magazine, although we will be following up on some stuff, but we've had about 14 updates alone this morning. So We had a very long news and tips emails. Yes, yes, that's where you'll be able to catch up on it for now. And like I say, some of that will, will go into longer analysis over the coming week. But the only ones that really got sort of column inches in this week's magazine were really the grocers. It was a big week for supermarkets, um, particularly Morrison's and Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's was the tip of the year last year and was fair to say left behind by the performance of Morrison and Tesco. We thought it had a pretty good year anyway. Held back, we we argued in last week's podcast by the home retail acquisition, which many people were sceptical of. But but actually, that's been quite good for it this Christmas. Yeah, it's been very helpful. I mean, a lot of the uh, like-for-like improvement is actually down to the performance of the Argos like-for-like performance. So you can argue there that it's it's been a real boon to them. That's not to take anything away from Sainsbury's, though. They did actually manage to get into the black with their own underlying sales, which is the first time in a long time. Um, so there's, there's obviously been demand over Christmas for their products, which, which is always good to see. And uh, Tesco updated... Today? This morning, yep. They were the last ones to really show their hands in terms of the listed supermarkets. Anyway, it was good. It was good. It wasn't. It didn't knock your socks off. <laughs> um, I think the thing is, Tesco did have such a good year last year that actually now people are quite um, sort of used to them beating expectations and, and coming out with uh, with higher sales figures. I think they're up about 1.5%. So, uh, so yeah, Morrison's as well into positive territory as well. So the the big thing that we really took a look at, though, rather than just sort of churning out these numbers and in a sort of run-of-the-mill fashion, was we really sort of dug into the idea of price inflation and the end of deflation for the grocers. Um, obviously, that's been a big characteristic for the sector over the last five or so years. So, so what drove the good figures? Was it price increases? Was it value or was it volume? Basically all three. Right. Uh, there's no real way to disentangle it. It's been a true combination. That being said, and I won't give too much away, it's, it's really better to sort of read it in the magazine, but we, we've sort of argued that actually the price inflation front might not be a consistent trend this year, as much as they're obviously having to offset a potentially higher cost base from their suppliers who are trying to push through um, higher costs there as well. It, it might result in the same situation that we had the last time around. If a downturn does materialize and if wages in particular household incomes can't keep up with price inflation so wage inflation doesn't keep pace household incomes will come under pressure again and the risk there is that if morrison's tesco the big four are pushing through price increases the temptation will still be to trade down which plays right into the hands of aldi and little mm, all over again absolutely and uh, i think they've they've obviously come out with some uh, some comment both of those had uh, pretty pretty decent seasonal trading periods pretty decent yeah there's a bit of skepticism from the analysts this year in terms of quite how much they'll be able to get through um general sales growth this year in terms of an underlying performance they see it much more as a store rollout um issue for those discounters they'll see um sales growth 
basically coming from added space um, and also market share gains. So we'll wait and see if that happens. Okay, I mean, let's talk about some of the more general retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, Marks and Spencer, which is in both, uh, they've updated today. Yep, they have. And you... Uh, approached me this morning as I, as I went to the office to uh, to kind of say, ha ha, I told you so. Um, looks like a recovery is starting. Oh, I don't know. I mean, yes. I mean, this is something I've been betting on for a while. I've said that if anyone could do it, Steve Rowe could. He's obviously a lifer and the relatively new-ish boss there. Um, started with the company 20-odd years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, let's start with the really good stuff, which was that Clothing and Home had... Um, an absolute massive recovery in the third quarter, back up to 3.1% growth, 23 on like for like. Um, that's massive. We've had years at this rate of decline um, in in, the, in those in that division. So to see it back into positive territory and so clearly in positive territory, I mean the market just loved it. it sent the shares up around five percent in early trading, although it's it's since mellowed. And what's it been doing differently? Well, he says it's down to three things, which is better product range, better availability of stock and better prices. This is something we've all talked about before, which is that the big thing that M&S had to try and get right, in my opinion, on the clothing and home side was to find a price point that worked relative to quality. Um, I think that was slightly out of sync under Mark Bolland and customers were noticing and they weren't happy. They were going to other middle market retailers that could give them better quality for perhaps a slightly lower price. Um, And so the environment was becoming a lot more competitive for M&S. Um, that being said, you can't beat M&S for a sort of basic shopper's appetite. So I think if they can get the quality right relative to the price point, then they're winning. And it seems to be the case. It's, it's funny you say that because obviously Next was the first retailer to, to update its Christmas trading and it was pretty pretty awful. And yeah. so I went home and I asked my wife about this because I know she's been out shopping with, the, with Miguel's uh, uh, in the last week or so. And she said, no, Next has some really great products. But the pricing's all wrong. It's mm-hmm. too expensive. It's too expensive, yeah, exactly, relative to the quality. Um, and I think M&S, I mean, Steve Rowe, he seems to me quite a ruthless guy. He's doing actually what Ian Smith looked at in a Taking Stock column a while ago, which is about new chief executives coming in and kind of throwing the kitchen sink at these businesses, taking obviously a lot of hit in the, in their first year so that subsequently the numbers look better. I'm not sure he's necessarily doing that, but he is being quite ruthless with the store estate. A lot of the analysis this morning that's gone on about these numbers is interesting because they're saying actually for a business as mature as M&S like for likes actually quite an insignificant measure of progress if you're closing stores particularly really a like for like figure is to take account of new space it's to take that out of the equation and look at the underlying trading if you're closing stores if you're taking costs out of the business what does like for like really tell you in M&S's case it doesn't actually tell you that more people are going to stores particularly now that their online sales are doing so well as well they don't make a huge sort of effort to break that out of the total and underlying sales figures either so all we know is that their online business is doing a lot better than when it first launched so we can assume that a lot of people are logging on and buying things from M&S but we can't assume that more people are going into store. Mm, One other observation from uh, from Mrs Huben is that the uh, local M&S the clothing uh, part of it not the food part is still a mess. It is a mess. Uh, my mum actually went two days ago and came back and told me that it looked like a jumble sale, which is her favourite phrase uh, for these sorts of um, places. I think she was really referring to their promotional items. They've done a lot of work on that, as much as it might look like a jumble sale. Um, Steve Rowe is, is absolutely keen that they reduce promotional activity, and they barely did anything around Black Friday. Uh, a lot of retailers were tempted to enter into week-long promotions and really keep it going up until Christmas, and M&S were very disciplined on that front, which obviously will have had an impact on their margins if they're taking 
costs out the business at the same time, that's all good too. Uh, the problem with quarterly updates is they don't give you a huge insight into profitability. We're going to have to wait for full year results to really know what it's done to the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the uh, promotion king, Debenhams. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like a permasale going on there, which I think we've commented on many times. But they had some figures, which also looks okay. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, like for likes up 0.5% there, um, which sent the shares up by around 3% this morning. Um, yeah, the UK business is doing well. Uh, and online, again, it's been an absolute boon for them. Um, I think this is a similar trend to what we're seeing at places like John Lewis, which isn't a public company, but uh, we do see their figures. And it's the same thing. Click and Collect is hugely popular. And Debenhams and John Lewis are two of the companies that have really been able to capitalise on that. It's interesting that you mentioned John Lewis because they obviously said they had a good trading performance at Christmas in terms of top line but they also said I think in their update today that they were reducing the bonus payout to, to staff and that yeah. would imply that profits haven't haven't kept pace. No I mean this is the problem with all quarterly updates from retailers is that you kind of have to stop yourself from getting too overexcited with these like for likes and oh we're nudging up and all of this because they very rarely give you a huge insight into margins and thus profits and that's really what investors should be looking at because obviously if you're on a dividend roster or anything like that it's earnings that you're paid out of not sales mm. I mean, you know i looked through the uh, the news and tips emails today uh, lots of retailers in it lots of which we have a buy so what is our case are we, are we looking at them on an individual case-by-case basis are we suggesting that the sector as a whole has been sold off uh, too much because of the the, the brexit fears um why why are we so bullish when when actually there's still a lot of nervousness around retailers there's an whole? awful lot of nervousness um i would definitely say look at these stocks on an individual basis You've got some really quality players in there, people like Booker, Supergroup, JD Sports, all of which I would be bullish on in the in the case of a downturn to sort of weather the storm. Others, I'm going to say at the moment, the third quarter for them, they've really benefited from this inflation so far, because I think what's happened, rather than sort of working through the cost inflation, they've immediately worked in the price inflation. That's obviously going to boost your top line. If you're selling items at, let's say, a third more of the price, that's probably extreme. It's probably not that much. Inevitably, your top line is going to look better. You just have to sell the same volume. Uh, that's where the challenge is. But if you can do that, then then the top line looks better regardless. So you've got to give it a bit more time, I think, to work in the cost inflation side of it. Inflation's a double-edged sword, as I said this morning, and uh, I'm not sure we've seen the full extent of that just yet. And, you know, one last question on retail before we move on to, uh, to property. You know, there has been so much doom and gloom uh, around the economy post-Brexit. The figures that have come out, the, the official figures, uh, generally suggest that doom and gloom was somewhat overblown. But is this sort of, could you interpret it as a kind of last hurrah? We're going to, you know, the consumers being determined to have a good Christmas because from now on it's going to be absolute hell. Yeah, basically. Um, I've said this before, both on the retail special that we did in these podcasts and uh, and in previous shows, I've said, I think, you know, the idea of price inflation was something that very quickly made it into the mainstream press. I'm sure many people were aware when they did their Christmas shopping that perhaps in three or four months' time, the item that they're looking at could cost more. Uh, we're all well aware of the currency situation as well. So, yeah, I, I do think there was probably a bit of a, you know, throwing caution to the wind and, and going out there and getting it while the going's as good as it is. Um, and also, it was a turb. I mean, the BRC themselves, British Retail Consortium, came out with figures the other day and they, they themselves said it was a bit of a you know turbulent year and people were determined to have a good time and the way they did that was they went shopping 
Yeah, why not? And why not? I mean, it's something that Chris Dillow actually refers to in his economics piece this week. There's a lot of uh, mud being thrown at economists for getting their Brexit forecast wrong, but Chris is arguing that actually they might not have been wrong. Some factors may have come into play which have caused those figures to look wrong, but one of which is that spending has basically been pulled forward from the future. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, behavioural economics is one of the hardest things to get right. And, and ultimately, that's what's that's what we're seeing at the moment is, uh, is people behaving in a way that's sort of a bit more... Um, laissez-faire because we i mean if anything 2016 told us that we never know what's coming so people are going to spend it while the spending's good indeed thank you harriet let's move on to property so you know we've heard about retailers and and having a pretty decent time you know you've looked in the sector focus this week at the kind of commercial property sector um some of which i would assume includes retail landlords are they having such a good time you know as the, the they were obviously hit hard by the referendum result as well but um you know is, is there signs of uh, is there a case for optimism there uh, retail landlords, um, you know, the, the guys who, who own the shopping malls, it really depends on who they are. I know it sounds weird, but there have been a couple. Capital and Regional actually reported a, an increase in uh, footfall over the Christmas period. The reason they're, they're doing better than, say, someone like Into is that they're much more proactive with their, their tenants. So if tenants want to move into larger spaces or want to move somewhere else, they'll accommodate them and they'll also make it a nicer experience for for shoppers because it's not you don't go there to shop so much as it's it's a sort of a leisure experience so they install wi-fi facilities etc etc so it's not all doom and gloom for for the retail landlords but obviously there are holes made especially when people go bust like bhs well, not a particularly massive hole, no, you'd no, have to say. No, no. no. Um, I mean, generally speaking, what what uh, is your your view of the commercial property uh, space at the moment? Are you, are you focused on London uh, mm. in your sector focus this week, but you know, we as I said saw quite a quite a significant sell off. Lots of companies in the space trading below their their asset value. Quite significant discounts in some cases. Are we confident that 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 discount is going to start to close after the referendum? Um, value is. Well, transactional volume died, so valuers had to make assumptions, and they assumed that because of Brexit, valuations or values would would fall, so they valued everything down. And um, since uh, valuation uh, changes appear on the profit and loss account, obviously headline profits fell. But at the coalface, uh, the, the, the commercial landlords are pushing through higher rents, uh, certainly higher than estimated rental value, which is what they reckon they should have got or could have got six months ago. Uh, it's, it's very difficult at the moment because if there was an unpleasant um, exit from Europe, then you could see a lot of banks moving. But even today, there, there's, um, there, there are calls that we're not looking for the passporting rights to be sacrosanct. So it's really a case of life goes on, let's forget about it and see what happens. Um, it's, it's a very difficult one to call at the moment. Mm. Who, who, who do we like in the sector? Who don't we like? Workspace provide small offices, and that's really a growing industry. You've got a lot of tech boys coming in, small operations, and they've got this very nice uh, operation with house builders. It's rather cute. They find a site, a derelict site, and they sell it to the house builder, and the house builder builds houses on it, and in return they build them a nice uh, new office block mm. and give it back to them, which is excellent so there's no there's no capital risk i mean you you mentioned house builders house builders exposed to london have been been pretty hard hit because london has not been a great domestic property market this year what do you see the outlook as being for for those uh, house builders who have that london property exposure well the two obvious ones are are barclay which are at the top end and they've always managed to to perform well 
At the other end, you've got Telford Homes, and they're doing so well that their forward sales cover about the next two years. And they're also going to build to rent, which is capital light investment because the uh, the institutional investor forward funds all the all the building expenses, which is a it's a wonderful wonderful thing to have. Mm. What what's been uh not such a good little subsector has been estate agency, particularly those mm. estate agents that have been exposed to London. Foxton's had some pretty uh, pretty shocking trading news this week. Yeah, it's a funny old world because if you look, the, the economy's growing, mortgage rates record low, unemployment's falling. That's three sort of key pillars to support the, the housing market. But housing transactions in the secondary market or existing houses have fallen uh, consistently. The number of houses on estate agent books now is an all-time low. And obviously, that is hitting transactional volume, which obviously hits commission. Uh, There's two other unpleasant uh, factors as well. The first is that the government's decided to ban tenant fees, which letting agencies charge to tenants. And there's not much chance of them passing on to landlords because landlords have already been affected by a higher taxation and if you try and impose them the landlord will just go somewhere else and and the third one obviously is the online presence of people like emove and purple bricks it's interesting to note that um, countrywide transactional volume is forecast to fall about six percent in 2017 whereas purple bricks transactional volume in the six months to october doubled um, there's a lot to go there i mean the whole market uh, online market is only about 5% of all transactions and Purple Bricks got about 60% of that market but when you consider three or four years ago it was nothing uh, they're, they're moving along quite quickly Yeah, Purple Bricks is a funny one because they listed last year and, and I think it's fair to say there was some scepticism around how successful how much of uh, of the market it was, it was going to be able to pick up whether consumers were ready uh, whether house sellers were ready to shift away from, from you know the kind of the old model uh, and kind of take on some of the responsibility to them themselves when selling their house but but you know and, and we tipped it um yeah and we've still got it on a buy i assume yeah um and it's and it's really doing yeah it's going gangbusters it's doing very well it, it's i mean they've, they've been helped by house prices because if if you're a, a traditional high street agent and you charge two percent commission that's um a on, on that was two thousand pounds per hundred. That's ten thousand pounds and a half a million pound house. Purple bricks would do it for about nine hundred quid. Um, the, the the difference there is that you pay purple bricks up front and then hope they sell it. Uh, whereas with an estate agent, you you settle when they've sold it, and if they don't sell it, you can go somewhere else. So there 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 is that difference. But I think house prices have made all that made it more sort of aware people aware simply because you can sort of sell your house for a thousand quid rather than ten thousand quid mm, absolutely that's yeah. very attractive yeah one of the one of the things i was going to add that uh, has caused transactional value, values uh, volumes to fall is not just the ones mentioned i mentioned the uncertainty about brexit but also if you have a house and you want to move up the housing ladder uh, it's Gone are the days when you just put 20,000, 30,000 quid on the mortgage. If you want to move up the housing ladder to a house with another bedroom or a garage or whatever, you're talking about a five-figure increase in your mortgage. And a lot of people can't do that because they're already stretched. 
Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, let's talk about the house builders uh, specifically now. I mean, before Christmas, uh, we had some uh, some numbers from Bovis, which didn't look very nice, and there's been all sorts of uh, shenanigans going on there. Uh, the, the, the chief exec has, uh, has quit this week. Mm. So, so Bovis, I think you know there were worries that this was symptomatic of the wider sector that actually uh, that the wheels had fallen off uh, the, the the wagon, as it were. Um, but actually, since Bovis's kind of uh, news came out there's been there's been used from taylor wimpy and barrett uh, and it's all looking pretty good yeah bovis has always been a, a, a laggard because its return on capital employed has always been lower because it's less efficient in the way it uses its money um it's obviously improved over the years but it shouldn't be looked at as a barometer of the housing market which continues to be in a very sweet spot it's very simple uh, house price inflation is slowing but by slowing, I mean it's also much more sustainable. Uh, nobody wants double-digit increases and in racing away and crashing. So if you get a sustained market, reasonable increase in house prices, uh, cost price inflation is moderating. Um, there's not really any influence from weaker sterling because not much is imported. And with the help to buy taking up in some cases about a third of the, all the sales that some house builders uh, succeed in making, it's all set pretty sweetly. Okay, so you know there's been lots of worries, you know, lots of lots of comment on the website, for example, suggesting that that valuations in the house building sector are, uh, have run their course. Um, but we're staying, we're staying firm for now. Yeah, I mean it's difficult. I think Simon Thompson mentioned this as well. Uh, you know, the old barometer was price to net tangible assets, and they used to be point eight, point nine. Some of them are now over two, but that doesn't. That's tangible assets. It doesn't take into account the huge land banks which, if you crystallise their uh, development value, would bring um, the asset price ratio screaming down to nothing, virtually. So, uh, still buy? Yep, very much. Not across the board, though? No, I I would... Well, the the funny thing is that Bovis has been the laggard, but it's performed very well, and it pays a decent dividend. It's just that you have to be picky, because if you want one that's a real outperformer, you wouldn't pick Bovis. Yeah, uh, and actually Ian Smith looks in detail at Bovis in his Taking Stock column this week, and uh, he's, he's, uh, there's a couple of charts in there which are quite quite uh, enlightening. Um, I mean, you mentioned that you know moving home to get that extra bedroom is becoming more expensive. I mean, this is, you would assume would in- encourage a lot of people to, to actually try and try and get more out of the space they already have. And are, we, are we seeing any signs of that in the retail sector? I know we had some figures from Tops, which were okay. They were okay. Yeah, I mean, it's always a sort of bone of contention, isn't it, in, in terms of how the DIY based businesses do. The problem is, I think, in terms of retailers, Britain's sort of DIY specialists, which are really only tops and maybe people like Kingfisher as well. You've got um, Howdens, of course, and, Howdens, uh, and Travis yeah. Burkers, which are in the uh, sort of building materials yeah. space. Yeah. space. Um, it, those retailers have sort of their own internal problems as well. You've got things like Screwfix, which do really, really well. But then obviously, that's sort of a huge trade game. It's not actually about homeowners going in and doing it themselves. Same for Tops. They also have a trade business that, that tends to do quite well and shields them from from a number of uh, sort of macro factors that are going on um, elsewhere. So it, it's a difficult barometer to use. I, I don't rely on it too heavily. Okay. Well, I'm going to spend some money on uh, DIY, or actually, I'm going to get someone else to do it, and uh, I'm sure they will be down at Screwfix 
buying my stuff. Okay, wonderful. Um, what we've got coming up next week? Is it, is it as busy as this week? or uh... Nowhere near. We're, we've definitely hit the peak this morning, but there are a few things. Greg's and, uh, and Burberry are on the horizon, so we're going to see different aspects of the retail sector. Again, we're going to start looking at luxury and, and different parts of the food market that, that aren't traditional grocers. So. Uh, we've, got some, uh, we've got a trading update from Workspace next week, so we'll see how, uh, how well their business model's holding up. There's also figures from Watkin Jones, which is a small company which I think we should keep our on because they're part of the conduit which allows institutional money into the um, housing market and the student market or student accommodation market. They're they're involved in build to rent as well which we've (coughs) talked about quite a few times recently. Yeah exactly. Okay Um, results this week uh, were fairly quiet. We had uh, Games Workshop as an old favourite of mine. (laughs) They've had had an amazing time. Uh, Dollar earnings that's the key to that one at the moment. Um, They've had an absolute surge in their share price. Um, A lot of it is is down to self-help measures as well. They've uh, they've tidied their act up a little bit, but uh, but they make seventy five percent, I think it is, of their earnings overseas, which uh, which has helped them look more attractive in this currency environment. Indeed, they love their uh, sort of fantasy uh, and such like out in the US. Not that we don't over here, but uh, we've all seen Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yes. I think that's the target audience, really. <laughs> may well be, may well be. But uh, yeah, we've ha- we've had that on a buy for ages actually for two years, and it's it's finally coming good for us. Oh, I tipped that years ago as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, Julia Bradshaw actually tipped it in twenty fourteen, and and it hasn't been doing that well but we've kept it on there for the income profile and uh, and now it's uh, it's starting to come back operationally as well I think it's an interesting did you get to speak to them because I know uh, a few years ago they got the hump and they, basically say they we're cutting off all communications with the they, city yes they're still quite difficult to get hold of um, I didn't speak to them this time but I have spoken to them in my tenure as covering this beat um, they're a funny business like that obviously a lot of the retailers that I speak to I'm on big media calls with uh, with a bunch of journalists and uh, and these guys you have to phone up their head office and be be put through to uh, to the chief executive so it's a bit more of a sort of um, low-key operation um, yeah they, they've had a bit of trouble like dividends have come on and off the cards and, and things like this and it's all been a bit lumpy and no one was really very convinced by it but as I say it's uh, it's really a macro game because in this kind of currency environment these stocks tend to tend to do better yeah absolutely it wasn't even part of the, uh, the bull case when I tipped that years ago mm. it wasn't actually uh, relevant at all no um, and uh, actually funnily enough of, of three results one of them's yours as well, Jonas, which is uh, Safe Store. Mm. Yeah, well, that's it's an interesting one actually because the, uh, the the number of people who use self storage facilities in this country is very small compared with America. Uh, it's it's growing now, um, and and these these guys are, are really improving their internet presence, which is where they get most of their references from. And they've also got a thriving business in France, basically Paris. And it's virtually impossible to build in Paris, let alone build a great big warehouse. So they've got that cornered, and it's going very well. Good results, then. Yep, right. excellent. And what have we got them on? Buy? Yep. Uh, actually, we've had them on a buy for years there. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's looking, looking <laughs> good. Just to run through what else we've got in the magazine, the cover feature this week, See Into the Future, written by uh, Philip Ryland, is a, a comprehensive view of how you can actually get better at forecasting, and quite quite uh, relevant given the uh, the admission by... Andy Haldane, Chief Economist at the Bank of England this week, that uh, economic forecasting was in crisis. Um, so yeah, Andy, read the feature. There's some uh, some tips for you here. Um, we've got the John Barron and John Rosier, our two uh, portfolio diarists, have updated this week. Um, difficult 2016 for them, but uh, they, they remain confident for 2017. Have a read of that to see um, where they think the future lies. Lots and lots in the comment section. Uh, Simon Thompson, uh, Chris Dillo, uh, and of course the trader. The usual tips and tip updates. Talking of tips, uh, Ted Baker didn't make it into the magazine. That was our tip of the year last week, which we got a bit bit of stick for. 
Because it's pretty punchy, the, it, the, uh, the rating. The rating is, yes. But it's actually cheap against its own history and sort of cheap relative to its immediate peers as well. Um, they're all kind of trading around that level. So, um, and, it's, and it went as old reliable, which is uh, perhaps one of those categories where you can get away with a bit more um, of a punchy valuation because it, it's sort of one of those things you can count on, you can count on the growth. Um, yeah, and they had a trading statement this week, which was pretty positive. Um, they had a really good Christmas. So uh, the shares there went up by about three and a half percent they actually closed the day up five percent which is uh, wow. yeah good and, they, and they're expensive shares as and, said. and they're expensive and shares and they didn't actually get from if my memory serves me they didn't get a huge sort of flurry of update of upgrades from analysts or anything to sort of propel them so they did it all on their own well, some of the analysts don't really like them very much no some of the analysts i mean pamia gordon for instance had them on a sell for a while now um i mean look th- this is all about building an argument you can certainly build an argument if you wanted to that um retails in for a tough year and ted's already been through the ringer last year with its whole asian crisis in my particular tip case that i make i i say that those things are overblown and that in in the downturn ted's got a track record for for doing really well and this end of the market this kind of premium lifestyle away from the squeeze middle uh you can have a bit more faith in yeah my kids love ted baker i think i told you that already yeah, they're yeah. uh I don't, they're not into the clothes yet uh, they're a bit young for that, you know. Still, still in H and M mode, but but the kind of accessories and cosmetics, you know, the, the kind of licensed stuff that they do, they're all over it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. And I guess that's really profitable business. It is really profitable. This is something we're seeing across the board. Actually, you and I talked about this yesterday with uh, with cosmetics and beauty. It's a really big margin business. Um, worked really well for Debenhams um, in the last couple of years as well. They've got a lot of exclusives in that department. Their, their sales there are absolutely flying. So uh, it's definitely a trend. You don't know how long these things are going to last. Um, and you know, to be down with the kids but um, it seems like I can't uh, honestly claim that anymore <laughs> but you know I what I like about Ted is that it's uh it, it seems to have huge customer loyalty and it really seems to have nailed who its customer is and they go out there and they serve him and her daily and they really don't take their eye off the ball. So that's mm. really what the tip is all about. Well, I'll tell you what I like the sound of in Ted Baker, which I didn't know before. They, they're launching golf ranges. Oh, are they? Apparently okay. so, yeah. So not only will my kids be uh, massively innocent, my brother and my dad, who are very keen golfers, will be all over that. See, the whole family can go to Ted Baker. Absolutely. Day out at Ted <laughs> day Baker. Day out at Ted and, Baker. Uh, day on the fairways in our Ted Baker uh, outfits. No, it's, it's a. I tell you what, it's a great market. You know, yeah. high-end golf clothes. You know, fashionable golf clothing is uh, is very, very popular. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a business that's always sort of um, uh, kept its eye on the ball, as I said. But it's always been pushing into new things as well, and that's why I like it. Um, it's got obviously a big international plan. It goes through wholesale. It goes through licensing. It's a true multi-channel retailer as well. That term gets sort of bandied around in this sector quite a lot. Um, but actually, Ted Baker really is living up to the hype when it comes to all of that. And uh, and the big thing I do like about Ted is they don't report like for like sales um, in in their updates and in in their results either because they say it is not an accurate measure of a true multi-channel retailer which just goes to prove that a lot of this can be smoke and mirrors mm, and uh, you couldn't describe them as a flash in the pan if they've been around for years they've been on the markets for years they know the game you know uh, it's not a super group situation no. which they suffered a few years ago is not going to happen and also a lot of these new sort of you know luxury lifestyle retailers that are coming to aim which look nice little businesses but I'm, i do worry that that they will they will come unstuck a little bit as uh, as they get into life as a public company. Yeah, I mean, Burberry is perhaps showing us that they can't manage the same sort of multi-channel approach that, that Ted has, while people like Mulberry show us that they don't know who their customer is at all. 
So Ted is nailing it on, on both of those fronts, so hence why it's doing so well. Good stuff. Well, let's hope it continues. Obviously, we don't judge our tips of the year by one day or even one week performance. So, no, uh, but it's a good start. So a good start. Anyway, thank you, Harriet. And uh, thank you, Jonas. Pick up the magazine, see into the future how to make better investment predictions. You can't miss it and you certainly won't be able to miss the uh, the cultural reference uh, that we've borrowed there. £4.90 and all good news agents. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much.